me, hello friends, and welcome to this message which is specially handpicked to minister to you and to bless you. I am Pastor Lincoln Seranga, Senior Pastor here at Liberty Christian Fellowship in London. My passion is the pursuit of 100% answered prayer. If that sounds like a good subject to you, why don't you follow me at lincolnseranga.com and also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and other social media where you will be able to find other messages as well as find access to short courses, coaching opportunities, and more. God bless you as you listen to this message. The power of self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice as a the banner. It was actually the overarching banner of Christ's life. The miracles of Jesus are worked in the context of a value system. He had an outlook to life. And uh, while I was in Chigali, I recognized that most of us are instinctively self-preserving. I will say that again. Most of us are instinctively self-preserving. And Jesus, from the point of his entrance, he came into the world to lay his life down. He lived his life as a sacrifice to the Father, a life laid down. And this is our battle, friends. Beyond the devil, beyond witchcraft, beyond poverty, these are not really our problems. Our problem is coming to our place, to that place, where we can feel that our lives have been laid down for God. I want to, 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 to just show you that in, in the scriptures. Um, that was the signature mark of Christ's life and ministry. He lived a life laid down. And um, we can go back to his birth or to the prophecies that surround his life. Because he came to die for us. Can you imagine that that is... People say, what's your purpose? And people say, oh, my purpose in life is I need to build an orphanage and look after children who are suffering. The purpose of Jesus was to die. <laughs> he had no glorious motive. He didn't have a purpose to build a mansion and to have a debt-free mortgage uh, situation. <laughs> uh, he didn't have any of those lofty ambitions, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have them. I'm just saying there's got to be a way that we can secure this incredible virtue. And I think I'll speak on this this Friday, and I'll carry on uh, on Sunday on the same subject: the power of laying your life down. Father, help us as we. Open your word. Lord, we know that instinctively we are self-preserving. But you are calling us to lay our lives down, to move away from the instinct to save our lives. And rather live a life that is laid down for the purpose of God. Jesus said, friends, whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That was the teaching of Jesus. And that statement is not actually one of the verses that I gave today to be projected. 
But remember it. And I'll ask uh, Pastor Grace to find it for us so we can add it to our, to our list here. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever lays their life down will find it. And that is crazy, crazy, a crazy value system. But I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. We are too self-preserving instinctively. We live our lives on a basic animal instinct. Now, self-preservation is a, is, is an, is a biological instinct. It's animal. It's an animal instinct. Go to any bird, go to any animal. The animal instinct is when you threaten an animal, it flees. It, it, it says, let me get out of here. Let me save my life. And we are so instinctively, humanly uh, wired to act as, to respond as animals. That when something is trying to end our lives, we, we run. Now, I'm not saying go and cross the road <laughs> without looking left or right because you're trying to preserve your life. But I'm talking about a value system in which we, for the, for the sake of the Lord, we lay our lives down for him. I'm talking about for him. For him. And concerning him and concerning his work, move away from an instinct of self-preservation and come rather to the place of self-sacrifice. Have you found that verse? Matthew 16.25. Matthew 16.25. Matthew Beautiful, powerful verse. Matthew 15. What Matthew was that? Matthew 16.25. Let me see if I can read that for us so that um, everybody can hear that. Um, I think I'm seeing it in the NIV. For who, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Oh, my God. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. There it is, my friends. Matthew 16 and verse 25. Uh, there's another one as well somewhere there. But, uh, Matthew 10, 39. Let's see what that one uses. It says Matthew 10, 39. Let's see what that one says. Same book, same author. Another angle, perhaps, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Deep, deep, deep truth. It struck me in the middle of a sermon, and I'll come back to the verse that um, Pastor Grace was preaching from. But then somebody else had preached before that, and I picked up the same word, and it was for me a glaring message as I came to the end of the women's conference that week. That God was saying, you guys are too self-preserving, too, too self-protecting for me. And you, you just, are, you got too much of your instincts on me, 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 and what happens to me in this pursuit of the Lord. And, and it, it takes away the power of your life. I feel and I believe the most powerful aspect of Christ's life is that he laid his life down from the beginning. Now, Luke chapter 4, verse 28. Uh, Marvin, if you can find that, Luke chapter 4 and verse 28 and 29. Uh, remember when Jesus got up and read, read from um, the, the scriptures, 
This is what followed. Uh, that is after he had been tempted in the wilderness. He picks up the book of Isaiah and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to preach good news and all that. And he says, The scripture that you've heard has, is fulfilled in your reading today. And then he said a couple of other things. And, and this is what followed. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of a hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him over the cliff. <laughs> this was the first sermon that Jesus preached. He didn't get a standing ovation. He didn't give a, get a love offering. <laughs> he didn't get a clap or a shout of amen. Instead, his audience collectively marched him across the city to a cliff to tip him over. Uh, I don't know, is there another verse? Is that it? Is that all I gave you? Yeah, I guess that's all. And the Bible says how he walked amongst them and, and went away. But you can imagine that welcome to the, welcome to the ministry. We're going to kill you. <laughs> and if Jesus was instinctively self-preserving, he would never have preached again in a synagogue. But he did not. Jesus knew, I am not in this to preserve my life. I'm not here to look nice. I'm not here to be loved and hugged. It's funny how we become depressed and angry about how we've been treated in church and how our relatives treated us and we want to commit suicide and we want to die. Oh my God, I'm the most horrible person in the world. I hate myself because my family does not love me. And we become all suicidal. Jesus lived his life moving forward from this moment, having been rejected. Uh, by by his own. They wanted to kill him. Day one. Uh, Mark 3 and verse 6 is another example. As I was doing the miracles of Jesus, I found this that many, many miracles Jesus performed, he performed on the Sabbath. Because you see, there was, n there was no way you would put Jesus in the midst of a, in a room with someone sick. <laughs> And think he won't heal them. And many times those those moments were in on the Sabbath. And they were he was not they didn't want him to heal anybody on the Sabbath. So when he healed uh, this man with the withered hand in Mark 3 uh, um, uh, from verse 1, you read the story. This was the result. Then the Pharisees went out. This is early in his life. Remember, he's just come off a cliff. Now he heals a man with a withered hand. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. <laughs> this is welcome to the ministry. Jesus did not live and minister under a canopy of celebrity welcome. There was constantly an engine in the establishment of his day to destroy him. And he kept going. He kept healing the sick on the Sabbath, knowing the more he healed them, the more he was putting his life in, in, in danger's way. But he would not be deterred because he loved not his life even unto the death. Do you remember that verse somewhere? It is in scripture. I'm actually remembering that it's somewhere towards the end of my notes, Revelation 12, uh, verse 10. 
Mm? Marvin, can you find that for us? Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now, 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 salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of the Christ has come. I want to read that again. Now, 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 not tomorrow. A breakthrough has happened and heaven is declaring, a loud voice is declaring, salvation, strength, the kingdom of God and the power of Christ has come. Why? The accuser of the brethren has been who accused them day and night before God has been cast down. How? Why? What's going on? Next verse, it says, do you have the next verse? He says, and they overcame him. He's being cast down because he has been overcome. Who has overcome him? What type of people overcome him? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And we love to quote those two. But he continues to say, and they did not love their lives to the death. That's how they overcame Satan. I find that the source of all depression, the source of all discouragement is the love of life. It's the love of self. It's the self-preserving instinct. It's that desire to, to just um, be, to survive. <laughs> and um, I really feel that God wants us to, in these days, not develop a morbid, negative, self-destructive attitude, but understand the power and the glory that is released in a person's life when they make a decision. When you make a decision to lay your life down for God. It's an inner decision that moves away from self-preservation because ministry and serving God may cost us things. And the cost of that can be invasive. And when we shrink from that and become self-preserving, the whole thing dominoes down because we cannot walk as Christ when we have shrunk away from the emblem of his life. His emblem was self-sacrifice. He came. Uh, the Bible says he came to seek and save the lost. He came to lay down his life for the lost. I hope you're hearing me, friends, and I'm keeping it easy here. But I feel and felt during this conference time, I listened to myself. I, I checked my heart and I thought, Lincoln, you're too self-preserving. Uh, not too self I think I'm, <laughs> I've done some crazy things for God. But there are areas of your life where you find you are shying away from the price. You're shying away from the cost. You're shying away from the price. And this thing is so bad. The love of self, the self-preservation makes us quarrelsome. It makes us unforgiving. It makes us conflict-ridden. It destroys marriages, splits churches. Because someone is focusing on themselves and how they must be honored and what, how they must be treated. And this thing is not Jesus. It is not Christ. It is not the spirit of his life. Now, I'll show you a couple other verses that are of interest. So, love, self-sacrifice actually is what love is. 
And I want to show you verses there. How does love model? How does self love model itself? Love is modeled in self-sacrifice. Love in the scripture, in the scriptures, is not so much about the emotion. It's about a passion for somebody that makes you lay your life down for them. So love in the scriptures is measured by self-sacrifice. You love me? You're going to pay a price for me. You're going to lay your life down for me. 1 John 4.18. Actually, before I read 1 John 4.18, the opposite of love, strictly speaking in the Bible, is not hatred or hate. Opposite of of love is (laughs) self-preservation. The opposite of love is fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love. Hmm? Power, love, and a sound mind. So, think about it. People who lay their lives down have to give up on fear. And the Bible says these are the verses that see that you see here that prove that love and fear cannot cohabit. And self-preservation is all about fear. Self-preservation is all about fear. When I sprint and run, I'm trying to, I'm afraid. I'm trying to save my life because I'm afraid of losing it. So 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So love, the opposite of love is actually fear, the fear of loss, the fear of pain, the fear of dishonor. And my God, how we are frightened of how we, people will treat us and whether we'll come out of this looking good and whether our dreams will come to pass. We are afraid. And it becomes self-preservation and that spirit is destructive of the works of Christ. Jesus worked miracles out of a fearless life. He worked miracles out of a fearless life. I want you to understand that doubt feeds off fear. So when Jesus is walking on the, on the waters, we're looking at the, 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 the miracle of Jesus walking on, the, on, on water. And Jesus, have you ever seen anything as frightening as the waters of the sea? Have you ever been on a boat <laughs> in the storm, in the middle of the storm? Forget faith. We are dealing with fear, first and foremost. So when Peter is saying, Lord, if it is you, call me to come to you on the waters. What is it that's driving Peter? Is it faith? Actually, it's love. (laughs) Peter was just in love with Jesus in crazy ways. (laughs) And he sees him. He sees his beloved on the waters. And he's saying, I'm coming to you. I'm not going to wait for you to land here. Yes, there is faith there, but... Faith worketh by love, according to the scripture. Faith worketh by love. And many times Jesus healed people, not just because he was full of faith. It's because he was full of love for them. He was moved with compassion. So he comes to the disciples because he loves them. He comes walking on the water. He didn't have a motorboat to jet across and come save them. So he walks on the water and there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. There is no self-preservation. He walks on the water to come to them. John 15 and verse 3. 
not not 3 but 13 John 15 verse 13 it says there is no fear no sorry John 15:13 greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends there it is again love is about laying your life down not a gooey emotion that you feel in your chest those are the bridesmaids that escort this bride. <laughs> Those are accompaniments. Self-sacrifice. This passion for something so great that you are ready to lay your life down. This is going somewhere, friends. Stick with me. Stay with me. And I will stop somewhere because of time and pick up on Sunday. I tell you, the key to spiritual breakthrough is self-sacrifice. The most important key to spiritual breakthrough is self-sacrifice. Every time you believe for a miracle, you are putting your life on the line. You've got to be. And I'm, I'm reminded again, as we've been believing for miracles, of somebody who went public and made a declaration and said, Guys, I'm believing for a miracle this year. And put it out on the media. And it's like, whoa, what, what if it doesn't happen? <laughs> what, if, how will, what will people say? How will you look? Self-preservation. Save your life. Save your skin. Save your name. Save your reputation. What if it doesn't happen? When you are ministering, as Jesus did, and you go and stand in front of a, 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 a grave, Lazarus, and everybody's watching you, and you say, Lazarus, come forth. What if he doesn't come? Hmm? Jesus going to raise uh, Jairus, Jairus' daughter and says she is not dead. She only sleeps. What if she doesn't rise from the dead? Fear, fear, fear. How we will look? What if things go wrong? What if things don't happen? We are instinctively self-preserving and that drowns and destroys the seed of faith. God is asking us, my friends, as we pursue walking as him, we have got to divorce the spirit of fear, the fear of failure, the fear of the unknown, the fear of loss, the fear of death, and walk with the Lord. Step out, the fear of shame. Greater love has no man done this, and a man lays down his life for his friends. Now, uh, in the prophecy concerning uh, the birth of Christ, uh, Zacharias, who is John the Baptist's father, when his mouth opens at the point that uh, uh, John is born and they're asking what shall his name be, his mouth opens and Zechariah prophesies. Now in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 67, we have this prophecy. I want us to read it together. Have you found it? Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Listen to his prophecy. This is about Christ saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. 
that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. The verse just before, that we might serve him without fear. The coming of Christ and how ministry changes for us in New Covenant ministry is that we would serve God without fear. Serve God without self-preservation. Love God and serve God without the spirit of fear. Amen and amen. Now I want to go into some illustrations here. Uh, Acts chapter 21 and verse 10. I want you to, I want you to see some important principles here, and I'll unpack some one or two things. Acts chapter 21 and verse 10. So this is about Saul. You remember, Saul uh, became Paul, Paul the Apostle. Now this is about Paul. And it says, as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet. This is a prophet, prophetic moment. Prophet Agabus grabs Paul's belt, ties his own hands and his feet, and says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when they heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him. They are pleading with Saul, with Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. And when Paul, then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, you wonder why. Saul was so mighty in his witness, so anointed in his ministry. The Bible says uh, God worked incredible wonders at the hand of Saul of, uh, in, in his ministry life. It says in Acts, God worked incredible miracles that even hankies were taken from him and would cast out demons and heal the sick. But you see, when the Spirit of God falls upon a self-preserving man, the result is completely different from when he comes upon a man who is self-sacrificed. Same Holy Spirit <laughs> falls upon Jesus of Nazareth. But because Jesus was not here to preserve his life, the result is completely different from when the Spirit falls on somebody who is self-centered, self-preserving, somebody who is going to fight everybody and, 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 and you know... <laughs> contend all around for their rights and how they are created and, and life and you know the results are different so uh, i want you to note that agabus is a prophet 
And I found, and I've been finding this again and again, there are different layers in the spirit. And it is possible to answer to a realm of self-preservation. And there's even prophetic ministry, which is self-preserving. Agabus is saying, you're going to die in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit did not say stop him, but he gave him that information. And how you interpret and, pres- and, 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 and apply prophetic ministry is so important. Because it's easy to read this prophecy. And God is giving Paul a way out. <laughs> Paul, if you go, to, if you go to, to Jerusalem, you will be arrested. You will be bound. They're going to persecute you there. Paul is saying, you've got to be kidding me. Not only am I ready for persecution, I'm ready to die. <laughs> I'm unstoppable. This is not going to stop me. And so it is possible to run our ministry life and our prophetic instincts and our gifts on a self-preservation level. And it's possible to apply scriptures and bring out all the verses that show how we will not suffer loss or have setbacks and we can have self-preservation or Christianity. But is that going to work? <laughs> is that going to work? Could that be one of the problems with our world? People leave churches in a strop because they don't agree. <laughs> oh, sister so-and-so treated me in a certain way. Uh, you know, I'm upset with the, with the leaders because I'm not welcome. Recently, um, uh, all, all, the, all these issues uh, flag up. Uh, and, and you find that our world is becoming less inviting and less safe. What, what's your instinct going to be? Oh, the ushers don't like me. Oh, the worship team doesn't like me. Or um, the pastors don't like me. And, and the thing becomes me and how I'm treated. Me and how I'm treated. Guys, guys are going to mistreat us. They mistreated our Savior. They killed the apostles. Why are we waiting for people to stamp our self-esteem? Why? Paul is saying, not only am I ready to go to Jerusalem, I'm ready to die. I didn't come here to preserve my life. I came to lay it down. This opens up a whole discussion, Agabus' ministry, and how the church interpreted that and tried to inject self-preservation. And how you can dream dreams. And uh, uh, somebody was telling me, <laughs> and I found this fascinating. They said to me, Pastor, me, I have it kappa, I have this gift of discerning of spirits. I said, uh-huh, how does it work? He says, when I walk into a place, I know everybody who hates me. I pick it up like that. I know them. <laughs> and I looked at them and said, what a waste of time. You're busy discerning who hates you? What about discerning who needs your love? Self-preservation. It's not of God. It's a deception. My friends, we are here to lay our lives down, not to preserve them, not to save ourselves from critics and criticism, not to get red carpets everywhere we go. Amen and amen. 1 Corinthians 12, 
and verse 27. I want you to zero in. I want us to zero in on something here. Because you see, God was showing me it is possible to come into the things of God with a self-preserving spirit and, and even begin to function in church under the anointing with self-preservation as your mantra, as your banner. Hmm? Now look at this. Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And this is the chapter just before 1 Corinthians 13, which talks about love. Remember, we defined love as a self-sacrificing posture. Listen. So chapter 12, towards the end. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. That. And God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healings, then helps, then administrations, then varieties of tongues. Mm -hmm. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, or are all workers of miracles? We are looking at the body of Christ. Do all have gifts of healings and, and speaking tongues? This is what we want to see in church. We want to see anointed people. The Spirit of God is moving. You know, people are being healed. Miracles are being performed. And we are looking at the body of Christ and the structure. And you see, Paul is doing all that. and saying, let me explain to you how the church operates. First, they are apostles. Then they are teachers. And, and then they are evangelists and, and all these guys. And then he continues. He says... Continue next verse. He says, But honestly desire the best gift. And then he says, And yet I show you a more excellent way. <laughs> I'll show you a most excellent way. Then he jumps into 1 Corinthians 13. He's saying, I've just showed you anointed people. I've showed you powerful people. Now let me show you a more excellent way. Moving away from the anointing and the power and the gifts, let me show you something better. And then he begins to explain the way of love. 1 Corinthians 13. And I didn't give this, so permit me to, to just open it here because I feel I should have given it. Um, so 1 Corinthians 13 what is Paul saying? What he has been exalting in chapter 12, he begins to challenge in chapter 13. I'll read from NIV to, to spare time. If I speak in tongues of, of men and angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong. The Holy Spirit is lending himself to somebody, giving him the gift of tongues, knowing it is of no impact. <laughs> you are just a noisy gong, and the Holy Spirit is okay to work with you, but you have no love, so there is no impact, no significance, no sense, because it is you've missed the point. You think, we think, that anointing replaces this mindset of self-sacrifice, which is love. You cannot replace the decision of self-sacrifice with more anointing, more power, more gifts, more grace, more titles. You cannot. And Paul is saying, tongues are going off, 
But in the spirit, all they are hearing are bells. Because the person praying has never made the decision to self-sacrifice. I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith, I can move mountains. But if I have love, no love, I am nothing. I am nothing. I am of no weight in the spirit realm. This person is full of faith, but they have never made a, a decision to lay their lives down for others. That God's work may be done through them sacrificially. And much as they are anointed, they are of no significance in the spirit realm. If I give all my possessions, oh, this one is charitable. Give your possessions to the poor. Give your body to be burned to hardship. Hmm? But you have no love. <laughs> it's amazing how it can even look self-sacrificial. But at the heart of it, there's a vacancy. There's a problem. Because you have never made the love decision. You've never made the self-sacrifice. I'm not going to stretch this much further than this. I just want to submit to you, friends, this evening, that working the works of Christ at the heart of it, the foundation of that, is that Christ came to give his life. In fact, as I close, I think I should read this one verse which blew my mind. No question I'm asking you. Uh, is, has, has, has this ever struck your heart? Have you ever felt that God wants you to lay your life down for him? Uh, when I look at my own journey and my battles for more, I came face to face in the, in the women's seminar. The people God used powerfully all had this common thread in them. They were not self-preserving. When David steps into the valley of Elah to kill Goliath, he is not counting the cost. He's not wondering, will I come out alive? Yes. <laughs> Every self-preserver was running off in the other direction. David was running towards the giant. The mighty men of David stood and fought against odds. Their lives were on the line. Everyone that God uses significantly comes to this powerful choice and decision to lay their lives down for the cause of Christ. I'm saying to you, most believers who are struggling with faith are self-preserving because faith kills you. Faith worketh by love. Faith worketh by love. And the stories of mighty works executed by love. Meanwhile, these three remain. First Corinthians ending. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is? Greatest is love, my friends. Meanwhile, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. Many times Jesus healed people and performed miracles. Not because he had a huge explosion of faith in his own heart, but it's because he loved the multitudes. Look at those multitudes that he fed. He said, I, I have compassion on these people. If I send them home, they will faint on the way. 
And because of love, faith rises. Because he loves them and he knows they will faint, he must feed them. And doubt is not an option. And the disciples are saying to him, send them home, send them home. We can't feed them here. And he says, no, they will faint on the way. Have you ever seen a woman fight for her child? Have you ever seen a woman fight for her child? Have you ever seen a woman fight for her children? And you feel like, my God, is she not afraid? Is she not afraid? No, fear has no place where love is. And I think we need to love God a little deeper. Love is work and the kingdom of God in new ways that will make us lay our lives down. And that's where Liberty Christian Fellowship is right now. We are going through transitional times. We are making tough decisions. And I feel it's going to be so easy for some of us to become self-preserving and say, what's in it for me? What's best for me? What's, my, what's better for me to do? I tell you, friends, God cannot do much with a congregation, with a community that are self-preserving. But when God finds people who lay their lives down, he has found Jesus in this generation. May we be such people. Shall we pray? Father, thank you as we come to the end of this word. Help us to move away from the animal instinct to preserve our lives. Help us to charge forward into your purposes and into the things you want us to do at any cost. Thank you, Lord, that we live in a country where we are not being shot and crucified. But thank you that the spirit of the apostles testifies clearly that all the twelve were killed because they were not in need to preserve their lives. And they went to hostile territories. They went to Gentile nations. They went to dangerous spheres of the earth. And their lives were ended because they were not in it to save their lives. Help us to, to raise families with a self-sacrificial heart to people who say I do and the whole thing is what's in it for me? Self-preserving. Help us to know that there's a price to pay in building homes at last, in raising children, in building businesses, in, in serving people, in serving God. And we ask that you give us a passion to live that life that glorifies your name. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said amen. Thank you, friends, for being here. I hope you heard me today. Um, I sat so far from the computer today, so I can't read some of the comments. But we want to come and, and give right now. I'm saying to you, my friends, every one of you, let me put this closing sentence. Every one of you has a button on your heart which says, if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. And we'll go into this on Sunday. If I perish, I perish. That's what Paul is saying. I'm going to Jerusalem. I must preach there. And if I die, I die. When Jesus was going into Jerusalem to ride on the, on the donkey, the disciples said, don't go. They're going to kill you there. <laughs> and he said, I must go. And Paul said, the disciples said, not Paul, the disciples said, let us go and die with him. Let's go die with him. Because it doesn't look like he's about to be stopped. That's the kind of church that God is going to anoint and cause to do incredible works in the earth. So let us give my friends, uh, I don't know whether you're a tither. 
don't know whether you, you honor God with your tithe. And there are people who are so good at defending how the tithe is an old covenant thing. But you see, in the new covenant, we give everything. We give our lives, not even just a tithe. A tithe is just a good principle, which is carried forward from the practices of old, from the patriarchs. And, uh, and we don't have to defend it too hard and have intense Bible studies lasting three years on whether a believer should, should apportion uh, a significant amount. Ten percent is a significant amount, but it's done in business. Usually, people who represent you want ten percent of the deal. It seems to be a principle that traverses many areas and fields of life. And we honor God with our tithe. You are advised to tithe, give ten percent to God, put ten percent in savings, um, and then live on the rest. Father, thank you that in these difficult times. You are the God of miracles. You are the God who turned water to wine. You are the God who fed the 4,000, fed the 5,000, got a coin out of, uh, of a fish. You are a supplier of human needs. You've never failed to open the windows of heaven. We pray that you do the same. Help us plow through this situation as we believe God for new beginnings at LCF. Pour out your blessing on every giver and the name of Jesus be glorified in our lives as we glorify your name. And God's people said, Amen.